And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 289 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, September 16th, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and I have to say, a guy who loved Norm MacDonald almost as much as me, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you? you know, sad, that, sad day this week. so sad, because yeah. I loved his sense of humor. Oh, such an amazing comedian. I, the, you know, for those of you who may not know Norm Macdonald, just a, a, I mean, he, he's sort of, I guess, best known as the, you know, news guy on Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. for so many years. Yeah. But, but just as a stand-up comic and and just sort of that wry, homespun in many ways, you know, in some ways snarky you know comedy just there was none better there was none better i mean nobody told a long joke better than oh so so good and his his uh, uh, most recent i think was netflix show that he did is very good if you wanted to see some but i saw a tweet from him it was in one of the news articles covering his death and it was something like I know, don't feel, uh, yes, I'm going to die, but the good news is, is that the cancer will die with me. So it's, yeah, so basically right. he said, it's a draw. It's a draw, right? I mean, that, exactly. was his, <laughs> that was his sense of humor. Yeah. Really, really good stuff, so. Oh my God, the moth joke is still, you know, I love that joke so, so much. I mean, how do you make a joke about a moth going to a podiatrist <laughs> And it's a three-minute joke. It's just, and it's just so great with the dumbest dad joke punchline oh, ever. But it that's what I love because for, the, all the dad yeah. jokes because that's my sense uh, of humor. And when my kids just yeah. look at me like, are you, "Are you serious?" and I'm like, "Well, there are people that appreciate this type of humor." And I always think think of Norm Macdonald. So, yeah, rest in peace. Absolutely, to, to absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. How was your and, How was your week? Uh, we talked about. Before the show started, we were both a little bit in misery as as both of our football teams, Cleveland and Dallas, pretty much lost by equivalent scores to very good teams. They did, yes, exactly. Well, we both played Super Bowl. Yep, you know, That's right. I mean, that was, I mean, the the Chiefs and the um, uh, and the Buccaneers were the Super Bowl teams last year, and your team played the Chiefs, my team played the Buccaneers, and we both lost by you know. Yours by four by and four. mine by three, yeah. I think. Yours you know, was so, back and um, forth. We were up almost the entire game until the yeah, last quarter. I mean, and uh, but it'll be interesting. So we're, we're you know we're going to the opening football game uh, at the Cleveland Brown Stadium this Sunday. So hopefully we'll see a win. We play Houston. You would think. Oh, you would yeah. think that's a win, but you you know I'm a Browns fan, so you never know. It should be. It should be a win. That should be a decisive. It better be. There's going to be a riot. I'll tell you that. They they really. There's a lot of pressure when you lose the first game, as you know, because you you know you can't go zero and two. Yeah. And then you well, go zero and three. Your season's pretty much over. Yeah. I mean, the conventional wisdom on my team seems to be that they played above their weight class, given all of the changes and oh, and Dak everything that happened back from last and, year. Yeah. And Dak coming back and the whole thing, his first game, and he looked amazing. He looked and, great. And, and all of that was fantastic. 
Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, so, but in the intervening time, of course, we lost our number one edge rusher um, who broke his foot in practice and now is out for six to eight weeks. We lost our number two receiver in the Buccaneers game, and we've lost our main right uh, right uh, 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 tackle um, to, uh, uh, well, I mean, it's ridiculous, but um, yeah, he got suspended for five games for apparently some confusion over being released because of COVID, um, can't be on the team property, but he's supposed to show up for a drug test. Is he supposed to show up for a drug test? We don't know. You know, there's a sounds you know, very NFL, complicated. NFL rules are so, you know, just anyway, we'll see what happens. But, you know, we're down three starting players. So NFL, see, NFL needs to take a page book from from college. Now you can pretty much do anything. So yeah, exactly, it went right? from you could do nothing to oh, you could do That's whatever right. you want. Yeah, go right ahead. That's right. We yeah. We don't drug test any, especially if you're a big school. They don't drug test or anything anymore. I'm just kidding. No. Yeah. It's <laughs> Don't it's, take that. That's yeah. yeah, not to our international <laughs> listeners, listeners. I'm just joking. They they yeah, they do that, drug test. This is not at Ohio State, but everywhere else they do. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm you an worked Ohio yourself State out of that corner. You worked yourself out of that corner pretty well. Yeah, I yeah, whatever. Say. I always work myself back into <laughs> to everything. Uh, I don't know. But uh, yeah. Anything else we need to, to discuss before we I think, get to No, these, I think let's jump links? right into it. I mean, let's let's give the listeners a break from our nonsense and, and actually do a new show. Do you think anyone ever <laughs> ever just listens to the beginning of our podcast and then says, well, that's all, that's all I want yeah. to do? Yeah, they're done with the football talk and, you know, and whatever want, the joke yeah, I was. I want to listen to 10 minutes of nonsense. I don't want any <laughs> marketing news. 10 minutes of nonsense. Yeah. That's segment number one, ladies and gentlemen, is 10 minutes of nonsense. And so now we go to the news. Um, We do have a lot of news this week. Um, None of it earth shattering, but some really interesting stories and a lot of them. So we'll try and burn through as many as we can here um, and uh, and get to it. And of course, we'll put all of them in the show notes, as as we always do. Um, The first one we just have to acknowledge, the first story that we'll cover uh, in this week's episode is, of course, a follow through from two weeks ago, I think, um, where we saw the rumor that Intuit might buy the illustrious MailChimp, uh, and guess what? Bum, 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 bum. Dramatic music, please. They did it. Uh, this article comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch, uh, and uh, Intuit confirms $12 billion deal, so the rumors were exactly on point to buy MailChimp. The article opens up by saying, this afternoon, uh, Intuit confirmed persistent rumors that it was in the process of buying MailChimp, detailing a $12 billion transaction that will bring the well-known email infra company to its corporate remit only TechCrunch would use the word infra in the lead story <laughs> uh, into it is not a well-known player in the email marketing space no they're not really that's another uh, very obvious sentence um, the company is best known for its TurboTax software and associated lobbying of the u.s government to ensure its rent seeking can continue its recent purchase of credit karma and its more dated acquisition of a mint the mailchimp transaction will comprise both cash and stock the question rather around your brain at the moment is the correct thing to ask why is intuit spending 10 percent of its market cap to buy an email marketing company 
per release, Intuit thinks that the deal advances its powering prosperity around the world and its strategy to become an AI-driven expert platform. Normally at this juncture, I'd, meaning the reporter here, would convert the company's corporate speak to something in English, but I'm struggling, says the author. Well, we could probably help a little bit with that, um, given our over-analysis in some cases of what we talked about a couple of weeks ago, but any anything to add to this, Mr. Pulitzi, on, uh, on the acquisition? Well, I think it's funny. <laughs> Intuit is not in the email marketing space at all. So it's, it's so funny. They say Intuit is not a well-known player in the... No, it's That's not right. a player. Yeah. Not a player yeah. at all. That's uh, right. We talked <laughs> you about, could just say that. We talked about period. this. First full stop. First of all, congratulations to all parties. $12 billion transaction in the private space. This is, this yeah. is a huge, huge deal. Uh, and yeah. I love it for the marketing space because it means there are more of these marketing deals to come and we can talk about them. Um, this is a this is a continual land grab. There's that we're into it sees that you know they want to become the leading expert of many, many things in the SMB space, marketing one of them. So finances and moves into marketing. There, as we know, there's this clear joining together of what's going on with marketing and finances. And Intuit sees this as an opportunity to say, okay, we can now uh, communicate directly with not only MailChimp's customers, which are very important, but MailChimp's customers' customers. That's, I think, the huge opportunity there where MailChimp reaches so many more people because the people using MailChimp are content creators and have large audiences. This This is almost like a Trojan horse deal that... Nobody from TechCrunch would see <laughs> as the opportunity. You and I could see it. This is because yeah. they got is twelve billion dollars is a deal for this. This is going to go down as one of those Instagram type transactions where, uh, where they you know twelve billion dollars. Hard to say that that's a deal, but it's going to work really well for Intuit long term. What do you think? Yeah, I I absolutely agree. This is this is nothing short of an audience acquisition play. This is exactly what they did. They acquired an audience. They acquired the audience of MailChimp and they acquired the audience of MailChimp's customers, right? Which is reach into the ability for uh, MailChimp's customers now into its customers to be able to leverage MailChimp for things like invoicing, um, because as I'll put it this way, as a small business, as a QuickBooks user, um, their email capabilities to be able to email communications and, you know, quote unquote, your CRM capabilities within QuickBooks, which you want some of, you don't want all, you know, you don't want QuickBooks to be your CRM system. Don't get me wrong, but you do want the ability to say things like, Hey, I want to automatically send an email to my customers to say, Hey, you didn't pay your invoice or, Hey, this invoice is now due or, Hey, I want to, you know, do some sort of customer relationship management with you that has to do with finance. And that leads me to something that I know, I mean, both you and I are big fans of, um, uh, of professor Galloway and, and, and Galloway has been talking a lot about this sort of, this sort of, you know, aggregation or consolidation of the FinTech and social space. Um, and I think this fits right into that, which is the, you know, whether you call it the content creator economy, the creator economy, the content entrepreneur economy, you know, all, basically the sure. small business ability to start to get more sophisticated about finance, 
um, this is fits right into that because the ability to communicate with its customers and create those tools is a huge piece of what they're what they're doing here. And this was, you know, that's the strategy behind the Mint acquisition, right? Giving individual people the ability to have that, you know, that capability and and have that the you know the knowledge and the education and all of that. And also now with the acquisition of a MailChimp, the ability for small businesses. Because let's also not forget that MailChimp has been making huge investments over the last five years into content platforms, you know, from podcasting to magazines to websites to email newsletters. You know, they are a content juggernaut. And we've talked on this show about we're like, yeah, they're doing too much. They're doing too much. They're focusing too, you know, that, you know, they're doing a lot, you know, you know, we've been a little like side eyed about that. And now it'll be interesting to see with the resources and scale that something like Intuit has, what they can do with some of those content platforms. They make, and by the way, that's a great point. uh, You know, two months from now, I'll predict we're talking about headlines that get sent to us like, into it and maybe not two months maybe six months from now we're we're you know we're going to start to see things like you know into it closes up you know mailchimp's newsletter or you know into it closes up this thing right they're going to start tidying up the house as it were and 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 we'll see some you know we'll see some tightening up of the ship but i i think overall there's that this is a a huge play Mm -hmm. for them that goes well beyond just getting into the smb you know um, email well, space. no, it's a great point about Mailchimp. Uh, I've been very critical of Mailchimp when they started their Mailchimp Presents program, which is a content marketing initiative that started with like ten or twelve different shows, podcasts, right, and yep. video series and documentary series and all that. And I said, you can't be great at all those things at one time. Start one or two, not twelve. Now that those that is definitely not going to work from all those shows, but from getting. From getting attention from somebody like uh, Intuit, who's ar- who already sees the value of content marketing and knows it, because from buying content platforms like a Mint, it gets it probably added to the value of the sale. I would have to think that they say, "Hey, we, yeah. we know how to do this. We are our own little mini media company as well." The second thing that, and you talked about this with just the value and the growth of small businesses. The New York Times and the Wall Street Journal have talked incessantly about this boom in entrepreneurship. We all know that a good portion of those audiences, of those companies that are being started. I'm sorry. I'm getting another. I'm getting. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even cutting this, folks, because there is somebody outside my window holding an elephant and squeezing it into the side of my house. That's right. I don't know what's going on right now, but I'm just going to talk through it the yeah. point i'm trying to make if i before i was yeah. so rudely interrupted here is the fact that um all these entrepreneurs all these small businesses are a lot of them are content creators and if you look at the tilt research that we just uh went through we have a 1400 entrepreneurs they average about ten thousand dollars in startup expenses to cover these things a lot yeah, of those are exactly email right. marketing services a lot of those are financial services so you're seeing so many more of these small businesses launch and into it might be at the center of the creator economy as you said with with a huge opportunity and leg up over everyone else yeah i think that's i think that's a great observation as well i think you know so if we haven't made it clear enough we're we're bullish on this acquisition i just checked the stock price of into it it seems like the market's going meh whatever 
Um, but we'll see. Uh, this might be. They a good probably time to buy. don't get it, though, might, right? I would guess that the, the the market right now is going. Oh, okay, yeah, they they see it for what TechCrunch is basically writing about, which basically, you know, uh, you know, they they use the, the TechCrunch article uses the word grokable, which already makes me cringe a little bit. But um, they say the way that it is grokable is that uh, um, that they see it as a play for the small business in getting into the small business infrastructure of uh, Martech, and you know, I think that's. A very small piece of this story. I think that's yeah. it's so funny because so you mentioned Intuit stock, so I go to it and it's it's up five percent over the last month, which is fantastic. Uh, it's yeah. twenty one thousand percent up all time. I mean, if yeah, you if you put if oh, you yeah. put a thousand dollars in that from the start, you'd be a multimillionaire. So just yeah, yeah just throwing yeah. it out there. It's like a, yeah. it's a good old just. fashioned Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which has not been doing that great lately. Uh, the, I think it saw its run. Uh, I think that it's yeah. very hard to top, uh, you know, seventeen million percent increase in a year. Yeah, so that's true. How much higher do you want to go? It's one of the largest yeah. entities. I needed to go a little higher. I needed to go a little higher. Let's put it that way, just a little bit. I I um, can't believe you own Dogecoin. Oh, I own I own Dogecoin now. I own Bitcoin. I'm in Ethereum. I'm in Cardano. Um, yeah, see, I see I've the got use a, cases got a, for every one of those except for Dogecoin. There is no use case. Yeah. It is oh, meme. I bought Dogecoin. It is a, a meme. Over I bought meme Dogecoin over meme. as a joke. Yeah, I bought Dogecoin for the meme factor. I I I think I bought a hundred dollars or something of it. But but yeah, Cardano and Ethereum are my my bigger my bigger plays. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next story here. Let's start burning All through right, these news stories because we got a bunch of them. This is a f- interesting one um, and comes back to our the continuing saga. We should have, you know what we should have? We should get soap opera music here um, because it's our con- the, the continuing as the NFT world turns. Um, and we, we should get good soap opera here because this episode of As the NFT Turns uh, has us to back to OpenSea. OpenSea, of course, the eBay of NFTs. And uh, this also coming from TechCrunch, by the way. The article's headline, OpenSea admits incident as a top executive is accused of trading NFTs on insider information. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, get the Californians going here. Um, oh, <laughs> the eBay of NFTs. Sorry, maybe I'm the only one. Yeah, who I think you story. are. The eBay of NFTs is running into a scandal as it admits one of its employees traded the crypto digital assets using insider information from the platform. Yesterday, a top executive at NFT platform OpenSea was accused of front-running sales on the platform purchasing pieces from NFT collections before they were featured on the homepage of the platform. According to Twitter user TV. Um, the startup's head of product was using secret crypto wallets to buy drops before they listed on the main page of OpenSea, selling them shortly after they were highlighted publicly by OpenSea and funneling the profits back to his main account. How does that guy not know that that's going to get called out? I mean, uh, just ridiculous. Um, Users linked a handful of transactions from account linked back to the executive on the public blockchain using an NFT drop that was, at the time, actively listed on the front page of the platform. Then they show a couple of tweets from uh, ZooWooTV uh, and basically go through the rest of the article saying, 
you know, it's, it's, there's trouble. There's trouble in, there's trouble with a capital T, as they say, um, in open sea. Uh, what do you think about this, Joe? Is just, just a blip or is this the sign of things to come insider training in the, in, in the world of NFTs? No, I, I mean, I think it's, it's a thing. I mean, it's just like you'd see insider stock trading. Uh, you're going to see this type of thing as well. If you have knowledge that something's going to go on the front page of open sea, it's just like being on the front page of Amazon, where generally those products sell. So yeah. if whatever the process is where it's a highlighted NFT project and it goes on the front of OpenSea, uh, those things are going to get per- purchased because there yeah. are people with a lot of ETH and they're ready to spend it on whatever you know baby llama little frog project comes along. It's just a, it's just a thing. <laughs> so I think this is just... This is there's yeah. probably an incident or two of this happening. Uh, the only in 2021 do we start speaking like this, right? This is a whole thing now where where baby llama, you know, <laughs> dad punk sheep's you know stirrer is going to be like. You know, oh really? You got Baby Llama's sheep stirrer? Well, oh my gosh, I've you know, I'm I'm really going into the Dapper Dinos. <laughs> you know, it's like this well, is, you got so so. Let's talk oh about this God. for a little bit because it's important. We were yeah. I was having a conversation with uh, Mark Maxheimer, our director of training, about this the other day. Yeah, for, you have many many very successful projects, and they do very well. The ones that are doing well have a long roadmap. They are building an audience. They're building a community. They're successful from that standpoint, and it's not just a JPEG. They don't just they release. Uh, there's ongoing things that deliveries airdrops to the purse to the owner of the NFT. Just like if you had an email marketing system, if you will, that you could deliver content right. ongoing. This That's is a, right. this is a real thing that content creators need to know about. And then you have for every one of those amazing things, you have 600 pieces of trash. That people are trying to, you know, get rich quick. So there's a lot of that going right. on right now. A lot of pump and dumps. There's so many um, automated uh, bots in OpenSea right now that will they'll they'll basically buy when something goes below floor and then quickly resell it. It's really kind of nuts. Some of the stuff that's going on. Yeah. Long story short, well, and you make- is, I think this is small news, but the the bigger issue, the bigger story is is that OpenSea is this huge gargantuan thing now. All of the NFT platforms are now where the, every yeah. month they're they're generating you know more in revenue than they did the previous year. It's it's nuts. that's right. And I think well, you bring up a, a an excellent point, which is the need to build the mythology, right? If you're you know, so you and I have had plenty of fun chats and arguments and debates about the efficacy and usage of. NFTs, you know, as art specifically, um, and 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 I'm sure we'll have that. But 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 if they're going to be successful, because if you look at sort of the the medium from which this emerged, right? And you were huge in this back in the day, the idea of baseball cards and tradables sure. and football, and but the key, what makes them valuable, is not the rarity itself. It's the rarity in context with the mythology that's been built up, right? So if Hank Aaron had been some no-named, you know, player that played for a couple of years and didn't really, you know, do much, 
well, his baseball card would not be worth that much. But because he's Hank Aaron, his card is worth, you know, so, and I'm making this up because I have no idea about what I'm talking about. But, but you know, the, the point being, it's the mythology that is built up around that, the community that is built up around that, to use your word, that makes things valuable, right? Mm-hmm. The reason that a tradable Yoda doll right now or a tradable... Uh, you know, Star Wars character or a tradable, you know, doll or, or, you know, action figure or whatever you look at as sort of being that is the rarity plus the mythology, you know, the popularity and the community and audience built around the mythology of Star Wars is what makes anything Star Wars valuable. And then you apply the rarity of the thing, right? And so, if NFTs are ever going to be successful, if any kind of NFT, you know, so the reason that CryptoPunks is successful, yes, it's rare. There, there's, you know, there's those, there's only a few of them, but it's the mythology that has grown up around their origin and the fact that they were one of the first and the fact that they, you know, they were, you know, they were, there was a whole thing about them and then who bought them and what, ha- you know, that mythology has continued to foment the value of those things as being valuable and you're exactly right if the ones that are going to be successful here they're going to be the ones that can you know quite quite honestly build a content marketing and story strategy around what they're doing you know it's interesting i've been uh we've been watching this whole thing have you heard of the crypto dads project i have now i've been i've been doing a lot of research on it actually uh jared morris who you know works with brian clark over at you know unemployable and the other products over there you know, we've been talking yeah. about this, and he's interviewing the founder, uh, Anthony J uh, of Crypto Dads. Now, you you think it, they just launched a bun- bunch of NFTs? By the way, they're they're ten thousand different Crypto Dads, and they look sort of like um, you know something you'd see on Fox Animated uh, broadcast, right. that yep. kind of thing. Um, re- you know, really interesting. They're all different, but they spent months and months ahead of time cultivating a community and an audience and building a roadmap and getting people to buy into that over time. And that's why when they launched last week at 0.07 ETH, now you can't, you know, you can't get one for, for less than two ETH. That's at a real, I mean, so that, so basically you've gone from a hundred dollars to $8,000 for one of these things that those things don't just happen. You might think that it's silly, but this is a, this was a content roadmap content marketing roadmap that they built and they've done a great job of it but i love what you're talking about mythology and story and when you know you bring up baseball collectibles i'll give you a really good example of this i collected jim tomey cards for years jim tomey uh first baseman third baseman dh for the cleveland indians for a long time hit 612 home runs eighth all time eighth all time in home runs hit i i can those his cards are not worth that much uh, compared to, let's say, a Mickey Mantle, who's has hit 536. So Jim Tomey's hit 80 more home runs than Mickey Mantle, but Mickey Mantle cards are worth a thousand times more because there's an amazing story behind that. That's right. And I think that's what you're trying to, to tell is that these NFTs can be a great way and a conduit to build a long-term relationship with an audience, but you have to have a plan and a strategy. And it's the same thing that goes with, uh, I was just talking with somebody the other day about no, we were talking about it um, with creator coins, with, with Rally. And we were talking about how oh, Tilt Coin's doing okay and whatever. And the th- we both were talking about the fact that if you're going to launch something like that, you have to have a strategy 
for how you're going to deliver value to the audience over time, not just the coin. Yeah. The coin is just a way to to facilitate that value. It's not the thing. And people get lost as NFT is the thing. NFT is not the thing. It's just the facilitation method for great communication, content, artwork, uh, building a relationship over a long period of time. So there. That's right. And it's also, by the way, why I'm still bearish and don't like the idea of brands doing this as a stunt, right? I don't, I'm not a fan of Bounty coming out with their, you know, NFT bounty package, right? You know, where they create a JPEG because that's all they're doing. They're just creating a JPEG of, and basically you're saying, ah, the bounty brand, which I can go get at my local grocery store, they haven't built a mythology. There's no mythology there, right? There's there's nothing there that builds any kind of story or value. And so I think those things are fads at best. You're so, so it's, I mean, so here's the different way to look at it. Uh, what was I looking at the other day? Uh, Forbes magazine, Fortune, I think it was Fortune magazine. They did an NFT of one of their covers a couple months back. Sold it for yeah. like five ETH or six ETH or whatever. And they had multiple versions. Great. It's just a picture. It's just a great, and it yeah. moves a little bit. Great. Uh, there's that's not that's just playing on the collectability of it. It's newness. That thing's gonna fade. It's the it's the it's a total it's fad, a right? I mean, it's but, somebody's gonna buy like, that for five ETH, and that's where it's gonna stay forever. But let's say that you're Anheuser Busch, and you go and pay whatever you paid ninety thousand dollars for beer ETH, and let's say you go and get an NFT from beer ETH. Uh, and every month you're sent a different beer uh, or uh, or a, sp- a special amazing content experience or you get let in yes. let in to, a, to, yeah, to exactly. events around the country because you're part of this first VIP NFT for beer.eth. Those are the things that you have to think of about the ongoing experience after you after somebody buys the access through the non-fungible token. So yep, good great point. Good stuff. Good. Good stuff. Wow, we agreed on NFTs. This is You're coming a, around, my a, friend. A, a new episode on as the NFT terms. <laughs> and that's Q music, Q Californians music. Um God, somebody needs to do that. Somebody No, somebody nobody needs work. to do this. Only you want it done. Nobody else wants I it want done. it done. We'll be right back. Starting a business can be overwhelming. And a great way to make it simple is to go step by step. The Dot Online Business Academy offers simple, easy to follow, and completely free courses to help you find a business idea, create a business plan, build a website, and more. The short videos, bonus activities, and resources give you everything you need to take your business up and running. Hosted by industry experts such as Ryan Folan, Jason Falls, and Kim Garst, these courses also come with interesting activities and exciting prizes. For more information, visit academy.get. Dot online. That's academy.get.online. And now, back to the show. I'm going to do right. it. Um, all right. Uh, let's move on to our next story here. Let's burn through these stories here as we get to them. Um, this one comes courtesy of The Daily Variety, uh, my hometown uh, news magazine <laughs> so here funny. in Los Angeles. Um, and yes, we're talking about Clubhouse. We haven't talked about Clubhouse in probably two or three months, um, and Clubhouse has made some a little bit of news, which is uh, interesting because now Clubhouse is on page 
four of my iPhone um, because I just don't care anymore. Um, but Clubhouse <laughs> hires NPR veteran Nina Gregory. Uh, the article from Variety opens up by saying Clubhouse, the live audio chat startup, has hired 15-year NPR veteran Nina Gregory as head of news and media publishers. Gregory most recently was senior editor on NPR's Arts Desk, where she had overseen coverage of film, TV, art, design, fashion, food, and culture. In her new role at Clubhouse, Gregory will be working with media brands on engaging with the Clubhouse community. She is also tasked with working on helping news organizations use Clubhouse, connecting with journalists, and developing audio training opportunities at journalism school. Uh, and then it goes on to talk a little bit about uh, Gregory's uh, resume and all of that. And she's a very, very accomplished journalist. Um, does this signal a direction for Clubhouse, Joe, or is this just something that they're hiring a very accomplished, ostensibly influencer manager? Uh, I think that it's, well, first of all, we've talked about it many times. Clubhouse doesn't have to be Facebook. It doesn't have to have all the audiences. It can be more like a well, Twitter. Well, it kind of does to justify that. It, it kind of does if it's going to justify its investment. I don't, I don't know if it has to anymore because it if it just ha if it's just like a twitter where you don't have everybody but you have certain people core people yeah but twitter can't even be twitter anymore uh, i mean twitter's doing okay i think twitter's going to be just fine if uh as oh yeah they're going to get bought at some yeah, point yeah they're going to be just fine and they'll get their valuation and, and everybody'll be happy but yeah. i think that if they just focus on their core creators and that's what this is is they need somebody to come in and shepherd and uh, talent and help them move along and figure out how they're going to build audiences and monetize. And that, I think that's what this is all about. And you've got all the other major platforms, YouTube specifically. Now you've got Twitch doing it where they've got these creator funds. LinkedIn just announced a creator fund. You, Everybody's focused on how do we help these creators help us. And this is part of it. You have some really, really amazing shows on Clubhouse and you have some really horrible things. Maybe more horrible things than good good things. So we've got to go in there and they've got to say, look, we've got to have 100, 200 really amazing shows uh, that are happening all the time to build this audience and, and become a thing. And that's what, Spot that's what Spotify did. Some of they purchased, yeah. some they grew organically. I just think this is what you're seeing and this is the natural progression of it. I think I think you're right, and I think this is this is Clubhouse chasing Spotify at this point. It feels like to me, um, you know, and uh, you know, it, we've talked about how the, you're right that Clubhouse doesn't need to be Facebook. It doesn't need to be Twitter. It doesn't, you know, it could, you know, it could have leaned in long ago to that sort of talk show format. And in fact, I think that was the original name of the app was talk show or something like that, um, where you are actually aggregating an audience in a live audio format and it becomes a bit like radio, right? It becomes a bit like a, a, a place where you can go and see and hear radio, um, audio where there are shows, there are people talking, uh, and that's basically democratized radio, right? Where everybody, it's a, you know, it's sort of the 2021 version of your cable, you know, Wayne's World cable access show, and but they, the the positioning out of the gate was this sort of democratized town square where you can go aggregate around topics and create audio rooms around these topics 
And what they realize, I think what they're starting to realize, at least this is something I can observe, is that there are not that many people that are interested in covering a variety of things. You know, there are a lot of people interested in covering a few things. And so there are topics in there which are highly competitive, crypto being one, growth hacking or how to be a millionaire being another one, you know, uh, some other issues, political issues being others. And I think to me, when I see them doing something like this, it's them realizing we don't have enough diversity of what's actually going on in the world in our, you know, and we'll never build an, an audience, a wide enough audience other than those that want to talk. In other words, we're building an audience, but it's all people who want to talk. And the, the power of any social media network is not in its content creators, it's in its content consumers. And that's the, the, you know, you've got to, you've, you've got to balance that in, in such a way that, that makes that, that really, you know, you look at all the social media platforms that have been successful, the, the, you know, TikTok is a fantastic example of this, right? The balance of content creators and content consumers is, is, is right for TikTok, right? There are so many content creators on just so many different topics and content and 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 what you want to you know see which brings in the the diverse and big audience of content consumers and that's where the money is made that's where your money is made is in the content consumer class so and clubhouse doesn't have that right now at all you know you can see the downloads per month nobody cares nope you know and it's just going to continue to to become more irrelevant and more irrelevant unless they can shake it up Unless they can start to look a little more like, hey, this is where you're going to come see so-and-so. This is where you're going to get CNN. This is where you're going to get the news you know, for Gen Z. I don't know what it is, but, it, but it's something that needs to be attractive to bring the moths to the flame, as it were. I, I think that you are way too down on Clubhouse. I will. I know oh. a couple of weeks ago I said I'm, I, I didn't like Clubhouse for what we were trying to do for our strategy, which is fine. But the problem the clubhouse had is they shot up like the NFT market did earlier in the year. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so OK. Yeah, they're not seeing a million downloads a month now. They're seeing 300,000 downloads a month. Oh, my God, that's horrible. That's I mean, that's pretty good. If, if what the company's saying is correct, that they're seeing 700,000 chat rooms created daily, doubling from May, and people are spending on average 70 minutes on the platform. That's pretty damn amazing. I mean, come on. They just started. So if they just keep on this trajectory, doing nothing else but growing at 300,000 downloads a month and averaging 60 minutes or so per session, it could be one of the greatest social platforms on the planet. Right? No. (laughs) No, I don't agree. I don't. I mean, I, I I agree if they could do what you're talking about. But they're already. But I'm saying they're I, but, do, but they're doing that right now. We don't have any. We're, we, you, where's the data that says that they're not going to continue to do a couple hundred thousand downloads a month, which is great, and they're not going to drop from seventy minutes to two minutes in engagement. So there's something here, right? Maybe just started. I, 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 they're not I even don't, a year I old, right? Or they're, they're about a year old. This is yeah. This is look. I the 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 challenge I have 
with this, with Clubhouse, is not that I didn't believe that it could be a good, small, niche player in the space. Um, and by that, I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean, you know, it, it needs to be small by, you know, our standards of small. I mean, small in the world market, kind of small, right? Not Facebook, not Tencent, not Alibaba, not Twitter, not, you know, not, not a global player in this, in this space. And, you know, the, the interesting thing to me will be the, how they manage their top heaviness, because the company is so top heavy now with investment, it's just going to be very hard if they're not going to become a category killer to keep that top heaviness, right? To keep investors happy. And if you can't keep investors happy, then, you know, at some point, you know, you, you have to either get acquired or you have to, you know, you have to, you know, just keep running, right? You know, you just keep running, you know, and, and, and we'll see. I, I am, yeah, I, I am, I'll put it this way. I am bearish on Clubhouse as I was on uh, Quibi. So, oh man, yeah, you cannot put it, those two in the same category. You know, no, no, no. I, I know. I know they're, they're, they're not, I, I, <laughs> I don't think it's the same. I don't think it's the same cadence of trajectory down. Cause I think Quibi was doomed from the start. Um, but I do believe that you're not going to see Clubhouse survive for five more years. I don't know. I I would imagine you're talking about their VC funding, and A16Z is probably extremely happy with their their unicorn of Clubhouse right now. I think that they're going to be just fine. Now I don't know. I I don't know if it's going to exist as Clubhouse in five years, but there will be. It would be somewhere at some piece of some company that bought them. For probably yeah. thirty billion dollars, we'll see when when they finally announce some sort of business model. I'll 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 say okay. more. Right, All right. Uh, right now, I'm just very s- skeptical because at, at this point, I just don't see the business model. And 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 look, I'm dopey, right? I'm, you know, you remind I'm, you me know, of I'm here's what you remind me. Admit, you remind I'm me of dopey. Edward Saverin talking to Mark Zuckerberg about putting banner ads <laughs> yeah. onto You're, are you Zuckerberg in this face, are you Zuckerberg in this story Facebook yeah. so that they yeah. could monetize the Facebook yeah that's what you remind are, me are of. you yeah are you, you're, you're Zuckerberg in this story I'm, is that, no, is no, that the no. way I'm not I'm yeah. nothing I'm nobody I'm just saying uh, I see sometimes you have I to see. give these things time to play out let's see where it goes yeah I <laughs> yeah. very well all right Let's move on to another story since we're burning All through right. these and having fun. Um, this is uh, another interesting uh, one here. Um, it's about, uh, and it sort of swings right into you know what we've been talking about, which is, of course, marketing and where we're feeling and acquisitions and all those kinds of things. Um, marketers' optimism hits its highest point since 2015. Uh, this story is coming to us courtesy of the Media Daily News, which, of course, is a section within the Media Post site. Um, and the article opens by saying the optimism of marketing executives about the U.S. economy has reached its highest point since 2015, according to the latest edition of the CMO survey. The survey, a collaboration of Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and the American Marketing Association, is based on responses of 282 marketing executives polled in August, and it is based on a 100-point scale with 100 representing the most optimism. 
August 69.6 optimism rating is up 3.3 percentage points from the last survey in February and up 18.7 percentage points since June of 2020, when marketer confidence in the U.S. economy reached its lowest point since the survey has been fielded. Optimism regarding the U.S. economy's next quarter, that's Q3 2021 compared to last quarter, also showed a stark increase from June of 2020, but a significant decrease from February of 2021, with only 32% of marketers saying they were more optimistic. Um, Basically, the article then goes on to sort of cite some more data, but says uh, ostensibly uh, we've basically seen an increase in comeback a little bit um, and and some of the you know some of there's still some uncertainty around the delta variant and and all of that but generally speaking this seems like pretty good news what anything you take out of this it seems way too optimistic what, what, well for two things so that was that's the first thing the second thing is did you watch the video associated with this one did you go through that I did not. It's fine. Yeah, they go not. through all the different findings of the CMO survey, and they talk about the yeah. different responsibilities of the digital marketing leader. And con- content creation, content marketing, content anything is not on there. It's just weird. You have social media. And well, you, that's the it's, yeah, yeah. It's just it's AMA. I don't. It's yeah. So, why? Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you subscribe. There's there's. It's almost like we are. It, we went back ten years. And they just keep using the same survey over and over again. Um, so that's the one thing that bothered me. So I, I, right off the bat, I'm like, you know, as much as this survey does a lot of good in, in some ways, where I don't think it is a, a real interpretation of what's going on out there. The second thing I would say is there's a 58% of the total marketing budget is spent on digital now. Now, you might think that I would say that that's a good thing, and I don't think it is. I think it's too much. Yeah. Um, I think that there are such huge... Now, I get why you might not want to go into the event business right now, but uh, I think there's way too much opportunity on the print side. Uh, there's there's other opportunities that I think have been so... Um, so and been such a bear market for so long, we don't even see them as opportunities anymore. And, I mean, f- frankly, if I was in marketing, if I'm a CMO... I'm I'm looking at starting a uh, state-of-the-art print magazine right now for my core audience because they're not getting any decent mail. It is all crap. It's all we're getting. And we're still going to get the mail six times a week. Yeah. So what an opportunity that is. And I don't think any of these CMOs see it because everybody's talking about, oh, we got to be on social and uh, and what are we doing from a digital standpoint and even into NFTs and all this other stuff. And we're not thinking about good old fashioned, you know, traditional marketing from the print standpoint is something we need to look at. So it was just missing. I, I agree mostly with what you're saying. I, I think, you know, and this is, I would say from our, you know, what I typically call my walk in the dog uh, survey, which is just literally talking with people that I, you know, that are sort of in my mm-hmm. circle, which include like, you know, all the clients, you know, we've done at this point in the year. So here we are at mid-September and we've done, I think, 25 engagements with you know, large notable brands um, this year, uh, all of which I've spoken with s- some level of senior leadership in the marketing group. And, 
you know, and then, you know, certainly social conversations, you know, conversations and interviews and other podcasts and all those kinds of things where, and if I had to lump all that stuff together into a giant pile of data, which I totally get is anecdotal at this point, um, I would say that the sentiment, I agree with the sentiment. I agree that most CMOs, marketing leadership and organizations are feeling good about the future with a huge asterisk saying it all depends on what happens in the next few months with this Delta variant thing, right? All depends on COVID. Um, and, you know, I think the, in, in so many ways, the politicization, politicization, I don't know, whatever, however you want to say it, but it, it, of the disease has caused true uncertainty in the marketplace um, where there's a hesitancy because the other, you know, sort of if you look at the tension of this, you know, Gartner has come out and said, look, budgets are lower. You know, there's, there's, you know, there's concern about marketing spend. We've covered that on this show before. Sort of the, you know, we see advertising budgets up, but we see marketing spend down and we see the shifting of money. And I totally agree, by the way, that, that a lot of that money is getting shifted into brand and content and uh, customer experience because digital customer experience is truly where a lot of CMOs are focusing sure. their attention and rightfully right now, so. which is- and rightfully so. Yeah, absolutely, right? It's small move, you know, curbside and, you know, e-commerce and all the things that are happening because it have been accelerated because of the pandemic have really shifted things. And so totally get all that. The sentiment I see is being rather bullish. Um, and what we see out there is sort of a, you know, a, 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 we're ready to go once you unleash us, right? And, and, and where I think that starts to lead to is, and you're right, this, this study doesn't cover that at all. It's like, all right, well, if you're feeling so positive, what is it you're feeling so positive about doing? Um, that's the real question, right? It's like, who cares how you feel? What yeah, are you exactly. gonna do because you feel so good, right? And so the anecdotal answer to that, at least from what, I see in the marketplace is a very big focus on brand messaging, uh, the social corporate responsibility, ESG for public companies is a huge thing right now. And levels of uh, getting to better digital experiences for customers is are sort of the priorities that I see, right? So. That, you know, and you can read into that targeted content, personalization, data, first-party data. You know, all these things are becoming huge priorities for, you know, I think one CMO that I talked to uh, literally just last week said it very well. He said, look, we have to build an engine um, because if we're not building an engine that connects our brand to the customer experience and how we're doing that in a digital and content way, then we're going to we're going to fall on our face because we're we're in a you know we're in a marketplace right now that is really noisy really you know competing with news and the deep divide in the country so we have to be connecting trust in our brand to uh the customer experience that we want to create and so what does that mean it means content marketing is winning so much and CMI's research points to this big bullish uh, budgets, team size, focus on content marketing in the next 12 months. And I just think that 
th- that makes me feel good, obviously, yeah. for the obvious reason because it's the business I'm in. But but it's it, I think it also speaks to uh, the you know where we are, where where CMOS are right now. We'll see. Yeah, it it was it's of course you'd take the survey for what it's worth. There's always good things and bad things. Um, yeah. But it's just those are the things that that I looked at. I think the other thing is it's just when when I go get the mail every day, I'm just befuddled by the nothingness <laughs> that I'll tell well you know here's a I'll tell you here's the punchline then here's the the funny punchline this CMO that I'm talking to his biggest priority right now he wants to launch a print magazine okay. yeah it to- I mean I don't I, I'm not I, I didn't I, I didn't want to bury the lead like that but it to- as soon as you said that it reminded me that his his big thing is he, he said I want to be in my customer's mailbox. And he's a B2B yeah. organization, well, I, by the way. So he says, I want to be in my company's, my customer's mailbox because that's part of our customer experience that differentiates because nobody in our marketplace No, I love to hear that. And I think what you're going to see during the holiday season here, you're going to see Amazon and Walmart spend so much more money this year on their print catalogs. You're going to be astounded. Yeah. You'd be like, "Oh my goodness!" And that's so that that's when the tide turns, right? You're you're getting the leading e-commerce companies in the world, digital companies in the world, that are starting to rethink and say, "Oh, it's not just digital. That we yep. need we have customer exactly. experiences many different ways. We can lead content first to do that properly. You know, in many ways. So there you go. Yeah. Good. Yeah." All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for your favorite part of the show, the empirically proven favorite part of the show that we haven't said in a while, which is, of course, our rants and rave section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel, well, I'm not even going to bring Norm MacDonald back into this because it's just so sad. Um, I have a bit of a commentary, but would you you want to go first? You want me to go first? I want to hear yours. Okay. Uh, I know it's going to be interesting, as always. But I wanted to get this into the show notes because I think it's very important. Uh, you and I have talked about DAOs before, uh, decentralized, um, auto, uh, decentralized autonomous organizations. They need to have a better name yeah. for that. But anyways, <laughs> it's... Somebody's going to come up, by the way, with the whole DAO of, you know, the DAO of banks, the DAO... Oh, you know, it's... it's ha- Feeding off of the Chinese Dow. Oh, yeah. You know I mean? the, 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 you're pro- you're you know, probably right. Trust me. Book, book titles in three, two, one. Okay. <laughs> the go. Dow of Dow. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So there's this uh, report that's being done. I'll put this in the show notes. It's, it was curated by Gitcoin and the Bankless Dow. By the way, Bankless LLC is an amazing newsletter, uh, video series, podcast series, all about the crypto, NFT, ETH side of the industry. They have started their own DAO called the Bankless DAO, and they're really focusing on you know what makes them work as well. So they put together this report. Uh, for just FYI, if you don't know, a decentralized autonomous organization, according to Wikipedia, is an organization represented by rules encoded as a computer program that is transparent, controlled by the organization members, and not influenced by a central government. So if you think about a DAO as a new entity like you would see an LLC or something like that. It's governed by the collective and there is ownership based on usually some kind of a token. So people are, you know, in the community, they get compensated for maybe initial stake or they might get compensated ongoing for the work that they provide. This is you're seeing launches of DAOs all over the place in every industry. And what you're still really starting to see is this power of the collective. 
And also, since a lot of people don't know what they are, this is a really good overview about what DAOs are, who's involved in it, how many people, what are we talking about? I mean, generally, you have a you have a fewer am- amount of people working in many, many DAOs. So if you're a content creator, you might think, oh, if I'm a content creator, I can go ahead and build my own e-newsletter and build my own platform. Well, that's absolutely one way to do it. But you could also say uh, my expertise is in whatever, uh, Solana cryptocurrency, and I'm going to add my expertise to three or four different collectives. And I'm going to get compensated that way. I know a number of people that are doing that right now. That is something that didn't used to exist. So now and there's a way that those people can get paid and they're generally in some form of the DAO token. So it's just really interesting. I wanted to share it. Um, it's uh, I'm really bullish on the whole thing, not for the name DAO or not for the thing itself, but the, the power of the collective and the idea that you can be a part of a community, that community can then be uh, compensated and actually have ownership in something as they're working to build. So it's not a passive audience member. Everyone becomes sort of part of the community. They engage in the content, um, and they also add to the content. And I, I think this is something we haven't seen before. So I'll add in the show notes. I, I yeah, I think it's good. I think it's fascinating, and I think you're going to see, uh, you know, really marginalized communities really get empowered by this, right? You know, so whether it's, you know, economic marginalization, people of color, indigenous communities that have historically had trouble with banks, um, start to band together into this and, and, and build in, you know, total economic systems. And so it's a real, it's a real, you know, fire under the butt of banks, uh, and traditional financial institutions to you know, this is going to get competitive. Well, fast, it's right? you can do a lot of things. So think about it this way. I talked to somebody the other day that is a New York Jets fan. So besides Gary Vaynerchuk, this guy, this guy, <laughs> you know, is a Jets. He's the other one. He's the other Jets fan. He's the other one. You know, he's not happy with the way the Jets are run, like most Jets fans. Yeah. And he was talking about right. getting, you know, hundreds, then thousands of people together in a DAO, in a collective, to create enough asset value in the entity to buy the jets. Now that's right. that you may be thinking that's the craziest thing ever. Well, it's not so crazy. You get enough people that put enough money into it and you know, some of these DAOs it takes like there's a friends with benefits DAO which is one of the original DAOs. It's all about crypto. Um, you have to have quite a bit of ETH just to get in um, and be part of it and there's a lot of people that pay to be part of that community. So you could see these things yeah. start to happen. So yeah, absolutely, right. absolutely. Um, about, and by the way, just fun fact for those of you who were listening uh, five minutes ago when we talked about the DAO of DAOs, um, the DAO of DAOs.com is taken. Oh, um, I went to go register. Yeah, I went to go register it, and it was already taken. So I saved is the DAO of DAOs that you've taken. Go, Daddy. I probably not. Um, oh, it probably but, is. Um, I'm not going to spend another three hundred dollars yeah, in gas fees trying to register another extension. For those of you who don't know, the .eth Boy, no extension, it's, it, it's a fad like the .com extent, extension was. .com was never a fad. More like .mobi. There's Maybe a land like rush to it. Yeah, there's a, Would have been more like that. Yeah, kind of thing. There's, a, there's a land rush yes, for it, exactly. for sure. Um, quickly, so I have a, I guess it's commentary or a rave. I'm not sure which um, article uh, in, uh, you know, this site, by the way, What's New in Publishing? 
if you're into publishing, content marketing, marketing, bookmark this site. It's yeah. just good. They, the, their, their stuff is really, really good. Um, the article that we'll link to in the show notes is, uh, the headline is Building Trust in a Sizable, Disengaged, and Indifferent Audience, Publishers' Insights from the Reuters Institute. And the article goes through some research that they've just uh, come out with, um, the, Re- the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. Uh, and it's basically talking about trust uh, and trust primarily in news media. And the research is, you know, for those of us in marketing, I just want you to replace, you know, when you're reading this article, just replace news media with marketing um, because I think they're exactly the same. You know, obviously there are differences, but but I think the lessons learned here are incredibly uh, similar, especially for those of us who are focused on content marketing and building value through content. And and a couple of just the insights that I'll just mention here is, is one, at probably surprise to no one, trust is really, really low, right? There are in the United States, and they did this pretty much globally, um, India, Brazil, United Kingdom, United States, um, they looked at trust and, you know, uh, trust, the trust in zero brands. In other words, we trust no news media brands in the United States is higher than anywhere in the world. No shock there. Um, The trust in all brands of news media is the lowest in the United States. Again, probably no shock there. The interesting thing to me wasn't that, um, because I think we feel that, the interesting thing to me was the source of that lack of trust. And the interesting thing that they found was it was indifference. In other words, what they found um, when they looked at this was the it's an active dist- distrust, but it's an indifference. In other words, it's not that you know I'm out there hate-watching things. It's basically the research concludes and they actually, you know, this is a pull quote, untrusting tends to be among the much less engaged with journalism altogether. Many default to a lack of trust and uncertainty. In other words, it's the people who don't watch and, 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 and don't care about the news that trust it the least. And maybe you kind of sort of look at that and go, oh, right, that makes sense, right? Because these are people who aren't actually, so it's not the people who are actively watching Fox News or watching MSNBC who trust the least. It's actually the people who watch neither and get their information from other sources that trust the least and are indifferent, like, and they don't care, right? Ah, they're all a bunch of crooks or ah, they're all a bunch of, you know, they're all a bunch of partisan hacks or ah, they're all, you know, I'm not paying attention to any of it. To me, that, and what they say, the, the, the article sort of goes on to be a little bit prescriptive about what news media should be able to do which is to actively start to foster trust in journalism. In other words, the usual tack taken by a news media agency is, and you can see this in the New York Times, did a very successful campaign not uh, two or three years ago where they basically really leaned into the whole brand of New York Times and a, as a trusted source, and it kind of worked. And so what they're suggesting is, is that you not only need to say, you know, you, you not only need to assume that great journalism is going to be, you know, or great, you know, content is going to be trusted by your audience. You need to make people care about it. In other words, you need to make people care that what you're doing should be trusted. And so 
there's not only a, you need to create great content in this, you need to make people care about that great content, which of course is something we talk about all the time in classes and consulting and et cetera, which is you not only need, you know, it's not just, you know, it's the whole Jerry Seinfeld. It's not just taking the reservation. It's actually holding the <laughs> reservation, Jerry. You know, it's not just creating the great content. It's actually communicating the value of that great content to your audience as well and making them care about it because the people that don't like your content and don't trust your content, quite frankly, those aren't the people that you're trying to get to anyway. Those are the active dis, you know, the ones who unsubscribe from your email newsletter. They un, they 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 you know, they hate comment you. They're trolls on your social media, whatever. Those aren't the people that you care about. The people that you care about are the people who are indifferent right now, who get your email newsletter but don't care, right? Who look at your content and don't care. That's where we have to focus and this is research that points right to that and I just thought it was just such a fascinating point of view on what people, where trust is. And it's not in the active trolling sort of, you know, people that we would normally assume. It's in the people that we don't see. It's in that invisible majority, probably, of people that just don't give a shit. You know, it's interesting. It's a great point. It, it seems to me that there's an opportunity for non-media companies in this because of the trust issue but the one thing that you see different where you see all these content creators that are building these amazing communities they communicate back you know they have a you know some kind of a discord channel or some kind of a commentary system to communicate directly back with the audience you don't see that a lot in news media and I think you need to start to. I would no, love to right. see you know you know where you have a comment section underneath an article and it's usually like YouTube spam you don't have anybody with you know real commentary. Uh, like a, a communication ongoing. And I, I would wonder if you started a small media company and with every one of the categories you had a, your own little Discord group so that people could actually talk about them in a you know very polite, hopefully polite way. Uh, and, and that's where I think you build a lot of the trust. It's just interesting that they don't yeah. do that. They kind of stand at arm's length. Oh, we're the media. I don't think that's the media anymore. So... I think I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think I was just and, you know, speaking of Professor Galloway, I was just hearing about a service. And while you were talking, I was trying to look it up and, and, and can't find it just at the moment. But there is a service actually that now exists where the for example, the Wall Street Journal is creating their commenting section, which is basically it's there's it's built a little bit on artificial intelligence as well as some human interaction to maintain the quality right and it's not the at what they're looking for is not the active disagreement what they're looking for is the purposely uh destructive in other words they put out an article and they you know if if people are having an intelligent but passionate debate they let it ride that's that's a good thing but if people start putting in trolling comments or things that aren't true or, you know, not, you know, sort of the, the conspiracy types of theories and stuff like that, that those are the ones yeah. they delete. And it's sort of built to do that. That I, that's a really interesting business, I think, um, for how we sort of move forward and start building trust in some of the platforms. It's not just simple as saying, we're not going to have comments. And it's not as simple as saying, we're going to let all the comments go. And that gets to a whole other topic that we could talk about, you know, Facebook and their sort of stance on free speech and what, you know, what allows and what's not allowed. And, you know, 
there is an active participation that we as a community and as that we as a people need to start to have to build trust in our own institutions. Otherwise, we become, you know, it, it, I mean, I have I have a whole thing on this going back to the 1800s and Justice Brandeis and the whole, you know, privacy and how tribal media and all that, but, you know, yellow journalism and that whole thing. But I'll spare everybody that because it's... I think everyone um, wants to hear that right I, now. There's some... <laughs> right at this, right at 106. Right at the end of the right podcast. at 106 in the podcast. Right, exactly. So, yeah, where are you this week, Joe? Uh, we actually have Parents Weekend down at uh, University of Kentucky, so we'll be going down and going to the football game and seeing our son, and we'll see how it goes. It should be crazy. Time. I love it. Yeah, it should be. Should be. Uh, looking forward uh, to yeah. that six-hour drive. Uh, what are you doing? <laughs> you know. The weather is turning here in Southern California, which is a good thing, right? We're actually getting out of the nasty heat. Um, so we're actually going to have some lovely weather this weekend. So I'm hoping to get outside, get a little sunshine and some cool weather and, and actually get a hike in and, and, and all of that. And then, of course, we're heads down getting ready for content marketing That's world. Right. Um, I've, I've re- I received my costume oh my in the goodness. mail. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little excited about that, I have to say. Little unreasonably oh, excited geez. about that, but um, yeah, getting ready to getting ready to fly in two weeks. So yeah, that's crazy. We'll I have to figure out what we're doing on the show. Presentation yeah. today, so the people yeah. demanding people they want their presentations two weeks ahead of time. Uh, demanding, demanding people. Damn them, damn those people. The demanding of my presentation. It's <laughs> my Catherine Hepburn impression to use guys. All right, yeah, that's it. We're signing off. If you want to get all the goodness of this podcast show notes or dive into any of the other 288 episodes, well, get on over to our shiny new website. That, it's not new anymore. It's our shiny website. It's old website. It's this old marketing dot site. And if you want your own dot site domain, we want to thank the wonderful folks at Radix for empowering our wonderful dot site and you can get your own dot site domain from them um, so get on over to this old marketing dot site we'll have all of the show notes that we talked about today and burned through a bunch of those stories and others that you might be interested in and until we meet again remember folks it's your story to tell tell it well we'll see you next week on this old marketing 